Jim Stroud fights to save America from the woke agenda by exposing the left and inspiring right turns with facts and informed opinions. Prepare yourself for intriguing interviews, political snark, and social commentary from a patriotic and conservative perspective. And it all starts in three, two, one. The Things I Think About podcast begins now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another exciting action-packed episode of the Things I Think About podcast. And with me, as always, is a very special guest. Special guest, tell us, who are you and what do you do? I, um, my name is Lenny McAllister. I work as the CEO of the Pennsylvania Coalition of Public Charter Schools, amongst many other things that I try to be involved in to make our, our country and our communities better. I like that. I like that. And I've had, I've noticed some of your writings and I suspect that you are conservative. Uh, I'm curious because um, people in the mainstream tell me that African-American people, assuming you're African-American, cannot be conservative. You're not a true African-American if you are conservative. What was your journey towards conservatism, if I am correct? Well, Jim, you're correct. And it's also interesting because, you know, I'm also told that if you stand up for civil rights for African-Americans, you can't possibly be a conservative. So (laughs) (laughs) it would seem to be that I'm in a little bit of a conundrum if you listen to the the critics and listen to uh, mainstream folks here and there. Um, In regards to who I am, you know, I I said it on my radio show on KDK and on WVON that I, I will never, you know, I'll never shy away from being proud to be a conservative in, in, in the constitutional sense as an American, just like I'll never shy away from being a proud African-American. And what does that mean? That means that as a black man that understands the power of the American constitution, the role that African-Americans and all of us have played in the formation of this country, flawed and all, that there is a uniqueness in regards to how we should cleave to the spirit of the constitution, cleave to the best tenets of our society and hope that our laws allow people to always be the cream that rises to the top so that people through their talents and their moxie can have the ability to have that pursuit of happiness that we're, that we're pursuing that was mentioned in the Declaration of Independence back in 1776. Amen. Amen. I like that. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, I want to quote to you an article that had my eyebrows raised up a little bit. It's from Newsweek. Uh, And here's the quote, quote, a university in the state of Washington has introduced a new program of black affinity housing that aims to create a caring and connected community among residents and support wellness centering the black experience. Western Washington University will provide space for 40 students to live in the housing program, which is located on the fourth floor of the college's Alma Clark Glass Hall, that building's name for the first black student who attended the university. Other colleges have introduced similar Black affinity housing programs, and there has been criticism of the programs, with some comparing it to the racial segregation of the past. When I saw this article, what had my eyebrows raised up is that this is pretty much Black-only housing on a college campus, which made me want to ask you this question, which is worse, 
forced segregation as we know it from the 50s and 70s uh, through the 70s, or the self-imposed segregation that seems to be picking up steam uh, here and there. Uh, and I think both could lead to the same conditions, but what do you think is worse? Forced condition? Yeah. I think definitely the, the, the segregation that was mandated by law is going to be worse, first and foremost, because it's mandated by law. Hmm. Um, anytime you have a, a state government, a local government, or dare I say even federal government, when you start talking about um, housing um, regulations through redlining back in the 1930s, when a government is cementing segregation into the, the communities of America, that's obviously the greater sin of the two. But I would say that with some of the things that you're seeing on college campuses and on high school campuses now, I think that some of these young folks are a little bit misguided. They're looking for a place where their cultures are appreciated and those that are involved in those cultures, whether it's living in a dorm or somebody that belongs to a, a, a membership organization, at least has an affinity and an appreciation for the culture. And I think that that's not different than a fraternity or sorority. I think mm. the, the difference lies in this though. It's when you poorly articulate what the values are and you then put an additional filter on it. Can you have a white American that appreciates the African-American culture. Let's say they were adopted into a black family. They lived the black experience in some regards. Now, obviously they're not African-American in one regard, but in another regard, they very much know the African-American experience and would want to live in this housing. They should not be discriminated against for doing so because all the other criteria, other than the fact that they have blonde hair and blue eyes, all those other boxes get checked. I don't think that young people today quite look at it through that prism. Some do, but I think that there are others that are completely caught up in, this is a space for black people. We finally have to have our own space without realizing that a space for black people can be something that is still inclusionary by nature. And I think that that's where we start getting into problems, whether it's in our, our education system or how we teach um, curriculums throughout the country or how we approach race problems in the 21st century, which by the way, is part of the reason why we're having some of the same exact issues we had 20 years ago and 40 years ago and 60 years ago, just with different nuances to them based on the contemporary times. That is so true. I saw a one of these viral videos floating around, maybe you saw it as well, where these two white students were sitting um, on a college campus and this young um, African-American woman went up to them and told them to get out, that this space belonged to them because they were in a multicultural center, I think is what it was called. And they were, she was demanding that these two white students leave. And they were like, well, why? You know, we're, we're members of this school too. And her argument was that they're not black so they don't belong in that particular center. And it reminded me of, some would call it reverse racism, but I always think of racism just being racism no matter who is um, being hurt by it. But it really struck me as odd. I said, if you reverse those colors, you'd be back in the 60s. I mean, what do you think of that? Well, I think if it's the same video, I think that part of what the concerns with the African-American ladies was the um, police lives matter. And they were trying to make the, the argument that, look, you can choose a profession. You can't choose to be black. And, mm. and I get where she was saying. I also get where the other students were saying, which is, OK, look. I'm supporting police officers. I'm not here to try to set you off. As a matter of fact, 
you know, if I remember some of the dialogue correctly, I think at least one of the two people there were talking about how, you know, we're supportive of some of you all efforts, but we're mm -hmm. students here as well. And those type of situations get toxic very fast in the sense that you already have hurt feelings, you already have misunderstanding, and you already have a, a volatility that's already being, you know, introduced in the discussions of race. And let's just be honest, Jim, we don't have a lot of adults that articulate the racial problem or proposed solutions very well anymore. Sure. And the, the failure to even try to be bipartisan on something that should be, you know, holistically American doesn't happen that much anymore, if at all. So as a result, you know, you automatically go in with, with you know, assumptions about people. You know, you see two white guys, they have a Police Lives Matter sticker on their laptop, and that means that they don't really care about Black Lives Matter, which doesn't have to be true. You know, we're just the same, you know, these two black women are saying black lives matter. That means that they don't believe that police lives matter, which, of course, would insinuate that black police officers aren't really black, which, of course, doesn't seem to make sense. So, you know, we're trying to solve nuanced, complex issues that have um, been around for decades on end with cut and dry, excuse the pun, black and white solutions. And we're wondering why we're, we're tripping up on this even to this day. Do you think there is some validity to having a separate experience from the rest of the campus? Uh, for example, um, uh, there are some who would argue against the Negro National Anthem being played at sporting events saying that it, that promotes separate Americas. Could that same argument be applied to certain schools where you say, I want only black only housing here but and no one else should be allowed over here but black people is it, i guess what i'm asking in a roundabout way is that is there any validity of having a separate culture on a college campus instead of just having one culture where we all come together or is that just too pollyanna and thinking there's there's value in having places where your culture has a unique value in residence there just is because um, mm. if there's not, then why do you have fraternities? I mean, Kalpa Alphas are, are highly, you know, you look at the history of the Kalpa Alpha fraternity in the South, and it's not a very, you know, it's not a pleasant one, and it's not a, a welcoming one to those that are not white males. In fact, if you're not a wasp, you know, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, you know, if you're a white Catholic or a white Jew coming from New York City, you're probably not welcome to be a KA, especially in, in its heyday. Mm. Um, you could say that about certain sororities and fraternities as well. So is there a value in having a place on a college campus where one's unique college experience or cultural experience and cultural does not have to mean racial mm. cultural means cultural, which can be a fraternity or sorority where that can be celebrated. Yeah, I think there's a value in that. I think as well, there is a value in making sure that that unique, um, cultural experience fits into the greater experience on the college experience. I know that, for example, my alma mater, Davidson College, is going to celebrate 50 years of the Black Student Coalition, which is both a celebration of Black people being at Davidson, but also a, a remembrance of what it was like to be Black at Davidson, which in some instances was a very pleasant experience. I know for me, I I had a tale of two experiences. One experience ended in 1992 with the Rodney King riots and death threats. I hmm. left campus and didn't take three final exams and got F's on all three of those courses because the death threats that I was getting, again, this is before caller ID and the like, were sure. pretty significant. 
Same time I graduated in 2002, 10 years later, walking my eight-year-old, my two-year-old across stage with people crying as they saw me walk across stage as a 30-year-old divorcee, soon-to-be remarried man. Um, that's the same Davidson College. I'm the same African-American man. But is there a value to be able to go back to a community and have them help me get through that, whether that's as a Black kid from working-class Pittsburgh or as a divorced dad? you know, raising kids as a, as a primary custodial parent? Yes. And I would say the same thing for a fraternity, a sorority, a, an eating house, or anything else along those lines. But again, Jim, and I think that I need to reiterate this. Sure. Valuing one's cultural background within the greater context of the American melting pot, as we were taught growing up, right. should resonate. It doesn't resonate anymore. People don't mind claiming they're Italian-American, German-American, Latino-American, African-American, Irish-American, but we don't focus as much on the second part of that hyphenation as we do on the first part. And that's what we have to get back to. Celebrate your unique culture, but make sure that you always understand that that second part of that hyphenation is the one that should resonate more. Well said, well said. Here's a quote from NBC. It says, um, the battle over teaching children about racism in the nation's public schools has taken center stage in recent months, with at least five states passing bills to ban educators from teaching about racial equity. The Republican-led efforts to prohibit such teaching came after a summer of passionate protests against racism and police brutality following the murder of George Floyd in May 2020. In many cases, critics have erroneously called any effort to teach students about racism in the United States critical race theory or CRT, a decades old academic framework intended to recognize the systemic racism inherent in American life. The controversy has even invaded school boards, prompting heated exchanges at meetings across the country." End quote. I've seen a lot of pushback against CRT to be sure, but I have also seen a lot of support for CRT for how people perceive what CRT is. How would you define critical race theory? And in your definition, what's wrong with using critical race theory to teach children about racism? I think the definition of critical race theory by and large is the, the framing of historical events through the lens of a non-majority experience. Understanding the role of racism that impacted society at that time hmm. in order to extrapolate the lessons learned that could be applied for a better society moving forward. If you take that approach, it can be sensitive, it can be hurtful, it can be sensitive to learn those lessons, but there can be value in learning those lessons. However, I think that um, what ends up happening sometimes when you apply what some call CRT, and that my definition is not the official definition, obviously, but what transpires is people end up taking those hurt feelings and going too far one way or another. It's either why are we teaching about stuff from 100 years ago, or it's, um, you know, all white people hate all black people. And it, there's no in between, there's no balance of, do you understand that, for example, um, you know, when you talk about handing down wealth and you have redlining and the redlining impacts 
where black people live, which means it impacts what school districts they go to, which means it impacts what their, their home values are gonna be. It may impact if they own or not. It may impact where they work or not. And then you start, and then you, know, you couple that with the GI Bill and how that was treated white Americans versus black Americans after World War II. And you take all this into consideration. And then you look at the, the statistics of why do white families have on average anywhere from four to 10 times as much wealth as black families, if not 20 times as much wealth. Well, through CRT, you can look at some of the policies that came from 60, 70, 80 years ago and see how that played through society through generations moving forward. That's an analysis without blaming the heart of an individual today, without judging the heart of somebody today. Because in the same context that you're teaching CRT or some are teaching CRT in schools, we also live in an American society that's never had as many interracial marriages as we do right now, interracial right. couples as we do right now, interracial children as we do right now. Um, so you can't sit there and say that we're teaching this because racial hatred's going through the roof and then look at these numbers as well. Obviously, even while these policies were in place 50, 40, 30 years ago, something's also changing in America when it comes to race. Now, true, Jim, I would say true critical race theory being taught and applied in a fair sense, also looks at that, also says, yes, the police dogs were sicked on black civil rights activists and others, white, Catholic, Christian, male, female activists for civil rights in the 50s. Yeah. But by the time we got to the 60s, we got these laws on the books. And by the time we got to the 70s, we got these laws on the book. And even if there was a regression in the 80s and the 90s over some things, we saw other things. You know, Ferguson happened during the era of the first African-American president. So did, so did Freddie Gray in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. You know, so these are things that, you know, you have to take into consideration when you say, okay, do, are we having racial progress? Well, yes and no. We live in a society where we can have a black president, but we also live in a society where the, the African-American unemployment rate still basically is double the rate of the white unemployment rate. And it's been like, like that ever since we started taking these rates down years ago. So it's, again, a lot more complex than just saying CRT is really, really good or CRT is really, really bad and America is either really fried or America is to be extolled and we shouldn't be rehashing the stuff anymore. To circle back, circle back on something you said earlier about not focusing on the latter part of the hyphenation of our, how we identify African-American, Italian-American, that kind of thing. I see a lot of pushback against the American ideal. I see a lot of people, especially in the younger generation, not having a sense of pride about, about their country. I know that historically, eh, yeah, historically, younger generations typically rebel against the establishment. And the establishment is looking more and more left. So I'm wondering, that being the case, do you anticipate a resurgence of patriotism in the next generation? If nothing else, rebel against the leftism that seems to be predominant nowadays. Yes, because we've always had it. I mm. mean, people forget that 1968 really did happen. And, you know, six years after 1968 happened, the president of the United States resigned. And then we had OPEC and an oil crisis. Then we had another American president talking about the malaise of the American people 
we were losing the Cold War in the 50s and the 60s. We were losing the space war in the 1950s and early 60s. Um, you know, we had a recession in 1982. We didn't have a Republican revolution immediately, and we didn't have a recovery economically immediately when Reagan took office. So we have always seen where we've had these ebbs and flows, left versus right, in this turbulence. But we've always come back to a point in time where we've been proud to be Americans. And unfortunately, sometimes it ends up being crisis that shakes us up. Um, in 1979, 1980, I, I would say that the Iranian um, hostage crisis shook us up, sure. gave us a, a, a unifying identity as Americans once again, and then a common enemy with, with the Soviet Union, and then the recovery of the economy, and then the boycott of the 80 Olympics by us, the boycott of the 84 Olympics by them, and then you start having this resurgence of America through the 1980s. Um, you know, of course, we had 9-11. We just celebrated the 20-year anniversary of that not too long ago, unfortunately. Um, that was a unifying point as well. There are always instances where the American people unifies and comes together. Now, sometimes that is around a politician that is inclined to bring us together. I mean, people didn't generally hate Reagan, even though they opposed him on his policies. But, Jim, you got to admit, you know, there's not a lot of politicos out there these days that even try to make both sides at least like them as an American. I mean, right. there, there are plenty of politicians that revel in the hatred. And if you revel in the hatred because it helps you raise numbers, it's not gonna allow you to heal other issues. And then when you face things such as education policy, like I have to deal with, education should not be a, a partisan issue, but yet it is. Um, school choice should not be a partisan issue. African-Americans overwhelmingly leverage school choice and overwhelmingly want expanded school choice. And yet it's a partisan issue that African-Americans usually vote against, even though when it comes to their child, they are screaming to the rooftops for their child to get more of, even though the politicians they voted for may have voted against it repeatedly. Um, so I, I have the faith that it will come back. I wonder how, I hope it's not through another tragedy. And I hope that it's through a politician or set, ideally, a set of politicians that love this country more than they love hearing their name in the media. I hear you. I hear you. And I hope it um, I hope it becomes a lasting cultural expression of patriotism in, in our community um, and just abroad. I, I but really, it also, really want to see that. But it also needs to be a broadened sense of what that means. This is something I brought up to Vice President Pence when he was doing mm. the, the racial tours last mm. summer in Pittsburgh in 2020. I said, you know, Patriotism means different things for different people. If you go back to you know 1945, or you go back to the end of World War One, and you tell African American communities you should be patriotic like you were then, you know, an African American is going to say, "You mean during a time where the GI Bill was still discriminating against my grandfather and great grandfather?" You're talking about after World War One, where black veterans were being lynched in their uniforms? Are you talking about when Jackie Robinson had to go through a court martial because he was not allowed to sit on the front of a bus? even though he's an American hero, even by that point in time, what, what are you talking about as far as patriotism? The, the definition of patriotism must expand to be more inclusive to the American people, regardless of our color or our creed, so that patriotism can stay the glue that makes us connected together in a holistic fashion and in an ongoing fashion. Until we redefine patriotism in a truer sense, that means more to everybody, but it's valid, we're going to have the subjective views of patriotism that are not going to last very long. 
Very poignant point. Um, time has flown by. I think I could have listened to you all day, <laughs> but I know you have other things to do. If someone wanted to connect with you and, and read some of your content, uh, how can they connect? How can they find you online? Well, if they want to go find anything on me from a from an education perspective, I'd, I'd appreciate them going to pacharters.org. That is where I work at the Pennsylvania Coalition of Public Charter Schools, where we are advocating, ab actively trying to advocate for kids and expand school choice across the Commonwealth and, and indirectly across the United States of America. They can also follow me on Twitter at Lenny McAllister, L-E-N-N-Y-M-C-A-L-L-I-S-T-E-R. They can also find me on Instagram and on Facebook. And, um, you know, of course, every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you have Red and Black, which is the uh, little YouTube show that we have fun with, with uh, three pundits and me kind of stirring the pot a little bit. And to make it easier for all the listeners, just go to the podcast description and I'll have links to all of that in the description. So just in case you didn't have a pen ready. <laughs> Lady McAllister, thank you so much, sir, for your time. I definitely appreciate it. I hope you won't be a stranger. Likewise. Thank you, Jim. God bless you all. You just heard the Things I Think About podcast. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, Jim Stroud wants to hear from you. Contact him at jimstroud at jimstroud.com. And while you're at it, share this podcast and spread the word that it's up to us to save America.